If you will, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Oh, Exodus chapter 3. Sorry about that. Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 7 through 10. That's my fault, not his. Sorry. Exodus chapter 3, (laughs) verses 7 through 10. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 through 10. All right, hey, it's still the King James Bible. That's all that matters. Praise the Lord. Turn it anywhere. That's great. Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. We'll read this responsively. I'll start with verse 7, and then you'll join me on verse 8, and we'll read down to verse number 10. Ready? Begin. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land, unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord, how good you've been to us. Lord, I thank you so much for these stories in the Bible, Lord. They're not just uh, uh, some man's imagination, but Lord, this actually happened. We're thankful, Lord, that you took a group of people and you delivered them from these oppressors. Lord, I ask you help us, help us to take some of the lessons that are taught and preached today. Help us to be able to apply it to our lives. Lord, help keep the distractions away during the service. And if there's somebody here, Lord, that, that doesn't know you as their Savior, I ask that you please just help their hearts to be open, their minds to be open. And uh, Lord, would you just use the music, everything that's done today, Lord, for your honor and glory. In these things we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. We were reading in Exodus chapter 3, and by the way, that was my fault, not Brother Anthony's. I wrote the wrong thing down for him, uh, and I don't want him to take the blame for it. Uh, what was that? Uh, oh, no, because computer can't check it, because it, Genesis is also has chapter 3. It has as many flaws as the uh, guy that pushes the buttons, or the one that doesn't push the buttons, Amen. The, and I'm going to start by saying something here, and I need you to understand it. I've been on a little bit of a rampage for about six months now to help people understand some things. God promised to bless a race of people, not a religion of people. God promised to bless the Hebrews, not the Jews. Hebrews are a race. Israel is a nation. Their people are called Hebrews. The religion, the main religion of the Hebrews may be Judaism, but God never promised to bless the Jews. He promised to bless Abraham and his seed, and he said, I will make thee a nation, and he called them the Hebrews. Religion is Jewish. Hebrew is a race of people. Now, listen to me. This this may surprise some of you. It was the Jews that crucified Jesus. They hated him. They wanted nothing to do with him. They still don't. Everybody doing okay? 
So God never promised to bless a Jewish religion. He promised to bless the Hebrew people. By the way, that's why it's silly for Christians to go do Jewish traditions at Christmas and at other times of the year and think they're being spiritual. (laughs) It's the dumbest thing this side of heaven. You're believing the lie of the devil. Jesus was not a Jew. He was a Hebrew by birth. Not a Jew. Everybody got that? Okay, just thought I'd set the record straight here. Now, the Hebrews have been in Egypt since Jacob went there during the famine under Joseph. According to Exodus chapter 12, don't turn there, verse number 40, it says that the children of Israel, the Hebrews, had been in Egypt for 430 years. 430 years from the time that Joseph was there preparing for the uh, famine and Jacob moved there with his other sons and they never left. They settled in the land of Goshen. Goshen is just outside of Gaza. Anybody want to guess what's going on there this morning? It isn't going to be very fun. Now, the Hebrews, after 430 years, almost outnumbered the Egyptians. You have to understand something. America has been a nation for 247 years. That's almost twice as long as we've been a nation that the Hebrews were in Egypt. That's like shortly after the settling of Massachusetts to now in America. And look how much we've grown in that time. Conservative estimates of three and a half to five million Hebrews were in Egypt. I've seen estimates well over 20 and 30 million people. I don't know. God doesn't say how many. We do know that there were 600,000 men of age to fight in the army. Now, when you've got 600,000 men, I'll guarantee there was at least 600,000 women, and each one of them had children, at least a couple in Hebrews were much like Baptists. They had lots of them, amen? So to have three to five million people is not out of the question. Now, Here's what I want you to see. The Pharaoh of Egypt saw the number of Hebrews increasing and he said, we've got to do something. So they began basically enslaving them. Now, they were not slaves per se. They weren't owned by Egypt, but they were being taxed and they were being taskmastered and uh, they were being treated cruelly by the Democrat. I mean, by the uh, Pharaoh. And they began uh, killing the Hebrew babies, the male babies born. Say why? Because they were trying to get rid of the, the, and slow down the population of the, the Hebrew growth. Now, the Hebrews, after 430 years, are finally tired of the oppression. It's taken 430 years. 
And now they ask God for help. I would say they waited a little too long for God to be in a hurry. Wouldn't you? It's kind of like when you're rearing your kids and you're warning them and warning them and warning them and warning them. And they keep doing the same stupid thing and the same stupid thing. And eventually you let them do that stupid thing. And then you say, well, I warned you enough times. You're going to have to wait a little while till I'm done with this before I help you get out of that mess. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Don't you think after 430 years, they were in a hurry, but God wasn't? Let me make the statement this way. They have virtually ignored God for 430 years. Now they expect him to be in a hurry. Uh, they were the ones that disobeyed him. He hadn't left them down. They left their own country 430 years. Meant all of these people had not been in the homeland where they were supposed to be. God comes to a man named Moses. Who is on the backside of the desert in what we would call the Sinai Peninsula where Saudi Arabia is today. Moses has... Fled Egypt, he was spared as a baby. His mother put him in a little basket and pitched it with slime and pitch and sealed it up. And Pharaoh's daughter saw that baby floating down the river. Look at me. As the babe, as Pharaoh's daughter saw him, her heart was moved and she spared the baby's life, took him into the palace and said, I'll raise you as my own son. And she called his name Moses. By the way, Moses was his Egyptian name. We do not know what his Hebrew name was. It's never recorded anywhere, even in history. He was being brought up in the palace for 40 years to be the next Pharaoh of Egypt. He was in line to be the next Pharaoh. And at the age of 40, he goes out and sees an Egyptian being unkind towards a, a Hebrew slave uh, and he was beating on him and Moses goes over and literally gets in a fight and kills the guy. The next day he sees two Hebrew guys going at it and he, he goes to break up the fight and they said, are you going to kill us like you killed that guy yesterday? And he said, uh-oh, word's out. And he left Egypt and went to the backside of Padanaran in Saudi Arabia and then meets up with some long lost kinfolk and begins tending sheep for the next 40 years. God comes to that man named Moses and says, Moses, I need you. There was a little bush there in the desert that was on fire and God spoke to Moses through that burning bush. The Bush was on fire, but it was not being consumed. Now, if I saw something being burnt up and not being consumed, I think I'd stop and pay attention. If something talked out of that thing, I'm getting out of there. Sorry. Kind of like I'll do your funeral, but if you sit up in that casket, I'm out of there. I'm done. Not having, I ain't doing that mess. Amen? Say, why did God come to a known murderer? Well, I can't tell you exactly why. But I can tell you this, I think I know a little bit of why, Brother Jim. 
if you and I were to go to D.C. today, I don't think we could get to the office of the president today. Number one, I wouldn't want to. Number two, he wouldn't know where it's at either or how to get there. But uh, there, you have to know the political ways and all the ins and outs of how to get in and different things and around leadership like that. There was a lot to it. God needed a man of the Hebrew race who knew how to get to the Pharaoh directly. Had to have somebody with the credentials to be able to get in. Understand how it all worked. And God raised up this man named Moses and said, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. Say, what? You do know, I, he said, I know what you did, but it's okay. It, it'll, it'll all pass over. What you're going to do next, you ain't going to believe. He said, I'll give you a sentence worse than what they could give you because you're going to have to put up with a bunch of complaining Jews for the next 40 years. <laughs> now, wait a minute. God's going to use this man named Moses to lead these Hebrews out of bondage. He makes it very clear what he wants Moses to do, and Moses reluctantly agrees to do it. <laughs> he's not sure what all he's getting into. <laughs> But I want you to look at your Bible. God makes one of the most amazing statements. Look at verse Exodus chapter 3, verse number 7. Let's go back up to verse number 6. This is, moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. By the way, any religious leader that gets up and shouts from the mountaintops about how wonderful it is because he's seen God and look at me and I did all this, I did all that. Anybody that ever got a glimpse of God in the Bible said, woe is me. They never said, look at me. Not one time. And the closer you get to God, the more you see yourself as you really are, a sinner. You don't lift yourself up, you put yourself down. For a religious leader to say, look at me, I can speak in the place of God, is dangerous territory. Verse number 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have what heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now look at me. God says, Moses, I've seen their affliction. I've heard their cries. I know their sorrow and I have not been ignoring them, but they've been ignoring me. It's not that I don't know, but they've not asked for my help. I've heard it. I've seen it. I know what's going on, but they've not asked for my help 
in 430 years. Now they want delivered. They've asked for my help and I will deliver them. But I want you to notice the statement, I will deliver them. He didn't say I have. He didn't say I'm going to do it today. He said I will. I will deliver them. May I say something? Let's not blame God for the problems in Egypt. The Hebrews were there on their own free will. It wasn't God's fault that they're under oppression. It's their fault for not leaving 420 some years before then. They went there because of a famine and stayed there for over 400 years. God's just waiting to be asked to get involved. God says he sees their affliction. He heard their cries. He knows their sorrows and he will deliver them. He had not ignored them, but they had not called out to him for help in over 400 years. God just wanted to be asked to get involved. I wonder how many times... We get angry with God. Well, God, why'd you let this happen? Well, did you ask him not to? Did you ask him to help? Did you ask him to get involved? Just because we have problems and tell God about the problem doesn't mean that we've asked him to help. There are people that will come to me and say, Preacher, i got to talk to you. They come and they tell me, Something and then they say, what should I, they don't even say what should I do. They say, preacher, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened, and this is what I'm going to do. I'll say, okay. They've not yet asked for my help. And oftentimes they're going to tell me something and I'll say, are you sure you want to do it that way? Oh yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Okay. Put it on the calendar, brother James. I'm going to talk to him again because it isn't going to work out right. You say, why, preacher? Because they did. You say, you could have stopped them. They didn't want stopped. They came to tell me something. They didn't come to ask me anything. Everybody understand that? You see, there comes a point in time where people just want to pop off and tell you what they're thinking. And they don't want your help. They just want to pop off and tell you what they're thinking. And God said, they've told me all this. I've seen it. I've heard it. I know it. They've complained about it, but they've never asked me to get involved and help them. God was waiting for them to ask him. I'm going to make a statement here that might hurt a little bit, but hang on. Anybody can complain. Anybody can spot a problem. But when you ask God for help, you better sit back and do what he says. You better step back and say, okay, you see, I, I think they were unwilling to do what God wanted them to do. It took 430 years before they were willing to do it. <laughs> I remember my boys, as they were growing up and became teenagers, they would get involved in a project and it would take 10 times as long to get it done. 
And my wife would say, why don't you jump in and help? I said, nope, I want it to be miserable enough they'll ask for my help. You say, but, but I, yeah, I could have prevented it, but is all they had to do is ask for my help. My job wasn't to make it easy. My job was to get them to see how to do it the right way. Did I see them struggle? Yes. Did I enjoy it? At times. <laughs> Sorry. Just ought to be honest, you know. But that could be why Josh is assistant pastor now in Miami, Florida doing a bang-up job down there, helping his father-in-law and seeing the church grow in the school and taking it over and uh, helping with all that down there and doing a great job. Could be why Jeff, just this last week, finished his sniper training in the Air Force, has become a, what they call it, an ADM, Advanced Designated Marksman. In other words, he's trigger man on a three-man team. He'll be deployed to Jordan in just a few months. You say, how does that all take place? You teach them to struggle. And when they want your help, they'll ask for it. Now, wait a minute. Do you think it was all easy? <laughs> no. Let me give you four thoughts today. Number one, God sees us. God sees you. God is not ignoring you. Bible says that God saw his people in the land of Egypt. Can I tell you something, Christian? God sees you in the land of America. God sees you in the land of Africa or Asia or India or the most remote place in the world. God sees his people. Matter of fact, God says he saw their affliction. Look at it in verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely, surely seen the affliction of my people. I'm going to read a couple verses to you. Psalm 34, verse 15. Psalm 34, verse 15 says this. Hang on. I'm almost there. And I'm in the right book of the Bible. Psalm 34, verse number 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. And his ears are open unto their cry. Brother Jim, Brother James, God sees us. His eyes are upon us. Proverbs chapter 15, you need not turn there, but Proverbs chapter 15, verse number 3, I'll read it to you. Verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Do you know God sees it? Please listen to the next statement. This will help you as a parent. This will help you as a child. This will help you as a leader. This will help you as a child of God. Just because God sees something does not mean he jumps in to take care of it. Everybody listen to this statement. We are his children. But we're not babies. You see, just because you're his child doesn't mean he's just going to jump in and take care of it for you. You see, God does not 
cross the line of jumping into our business and step over us and say, you didn't do it right, now let me take care of this. Brother Anthony turned 30 this week. I gave him my walker. And Geritol. No, I got, I got an electric one now. I'm advancing to the wheelchair. Uh, here's a young man. Got a family with four beautiful kids. Married. His own family. His own house. Uh, virtually every day I think I say, what do you need? How can I help you? I may see something he needs that he doesn't know he needs. But I'm not going to say, well, I know you got a problem and here's your problem. Not my job to jump in. He's an adult man take care of his own problems. Amen. You say, but preacher, don't you think, I, I might say, Brother Anthony, are you sure you want to do it that way? You really think that's going to work real well? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Say, what are you going to do? Let him fail. Why? Because that's how he's going to learn. Amen. Not my job to keep you from all your problems. You're an adult. Have a seat. Why is it then we think that God's supposed to take care of us like a little two-year-old? A little eight-month-old? An infant? Matter of fact, God says, I don't want you to be a baby. I want you to be an adult. I want you to eat not just milk, but bread and meat and be an adult. I don't want to treat you like a baby. Oh, as my kids were growing up. They hit those teen years. And you hit the teen. I mean, anyway, uh, the reward for not killing your children as teenagers is called grandkids. Amen. If I'd have known it was so good, I'd have had the grandkids first and skipped the kids. Now, wait a minute. Those, those, those teen years are tough. And there's times it's struggle, but you've got you to gotta endure that struggle. And there's times you have to let them fail controllably. Brother Fugit and I were talking while he was here a couple of weeks ago. And I'm against young people doing online college as their only education. If a young person is going to go to college, I think they ought to leave and go to college. I think they ought to go to Bible college and put a year in before they do anything else. That's my own personal feelings. I'm not saying that they're not right with God. And there are some that stay local, stay at home, and they're doing fine. They're staying in church and doing what they're supposed to do. But I don't think that it's best. Listen to this. If somebody's going to go into ministry especially, get out of here, go, go to college. There's more to college than just classes. You're getting philosophized. You're, getting, you're trying out your own principles. And young people need a place called a controlled fall called college. You've got to figure out how to pay bills and uh, work 18, 20 hours a class and work a job and have relationships with people that you're not related to that live in a dorm that act like pigs sometimes. And all those wonderful things. Those are part of growing up. You don't get that online. And those are necessary evils. Everybody doing okay? Well, I just want to protect my baby. That's why you're going to have a 30-year-old baby. No pun intended. <laughs> Parents, let your kids struggle. 
don't jump in unless you're asked to jump in. And when they reach the age of adult, stay out of their business unless you're asked to get involved in their business. Everybody doing all right? Those of you that are young adults, just because mommy and daddy won't rescue you, don't, that doesn't mean they hate you. They're trying to teach you to be an adult. That's just part of life. Can I give you the speech that that man gave me before I left for Bible college? He said, son, you can come back in the summers, but by the time you graduate, you better know what you're doing. I didn't rear you to stay. I reared you to leave. And the day you leave our home for good, you can come visit, but you ain't staying forever. Now, it might not be word for word, but it's pretty close. When I got married, before I got married, my dad said, that's fine, but you'll never live at home ever again. I don't care what happens. He said, you're a man, time to be a man. Okay. Thank God, 34 plus years, I ain't lived in his house, amen. Visited many a time. Sometimes for several days at a time. Sometimes a week or so, depending on where we were. But I didn't want to move back home. I had my own home. That's the way it's supposed to be. You have to quit being mommy and daddy. Everybody doing okay? You have to become guide, not mommy and daddy. I'm there to guide my kids, yes. But I'm not there to jump in and take care of all their problems. Uh, my son's being deployed to Jordan. <gasps> Preacher, aren't you worried? He's in God's hands. It's something he chose. Am I concerned? Who wouldn't be? But I'm not going to be eat up with it. He weighs buck 65 and can bench 290 and he can shoot out past 600 yards with unbelievable accuracy. I feel sorry for the jerk that runs into him. <laughs> He's going to die and go to hell if he ain't saved. Amen. Now, wait a minute. Uh, you say, are you concerned? I'm just as concerned for him. On base in California as I am in Jordan. Yeah, probably worse. <laughs> At least he knows what the enemy is in, in Jordan. You see, parenting adults means you let them struggle unless they ask you to help. Stay out of it. Well, they didn't do it the way I... They, they're not supposed to do it the way you do it because they're not you. Uh, quit judging your kids based off what you do. Let them do it. Just because you saw their affliction does not mean you're supposed to get involved. If my children, my married children are going through struggles, um, we have a couple that are going through a little struggle right now. Not with each other, just a little struggle in life. Say, what have you and Mrs. Bush done? Absolutely nothing. When I'm asked, I'll give my opinion. If I'm not asked, they deal with the consequences. And if they ask and do something contrary, they deal with the consequences. Everybody doing okay? Well, doesn't that frustrate you? Not one little bit. I don't give it a second thought. I really don't. I don't even think about the situation. You say, but, but preacher, yeah, they're adults. They have to take care of it. 
They were reared to make those decisions. Let them make those decisions. You see, just because they complained or cried doesn't mean God was going to get involved. Some of you at the very essence of a cry or a whimper or a complaint, you want to run and jump and get everybody out of the problem. No, let them whine and complain till they ask you to get involved. Everybody doing all right? Man, I feel like I'm on an island all by myself. God never gets involved until we ask him to get involved. And usually we wait way too long to ask him. Number two. God heard their cry. It says that I heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. Oh, it's just so hard. They're being so mean and I don't understand why. Well, they didn't ask God. Yeah, he heard it. We won't take time to turn there, but if you went to Genesis chapter 21, verses 14 through 17, if you remember the story, Abraham's first son was with uh, Hagar's uh, handmaid, or Sarah's handmaid, Hagar, and uh, his name was Ishmael. Ishmael was 14 years old after Isaac was born. Isaac was the promised seed of God. Ishmael was born out of adultery, fornication. He wasn't the promised seed. By the way, Ishmael is the father of the Muslim people. And we wonder why we have problems in the land of Israel today. Ishmael had 12 sons. Just like the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why there's a mosque on the Temple Mount today. Ishmael was the firstborn, but he wasn't the promised seed. And the conflict of the, the Hebrews and the, and the Muslim world today is because of Abraham not listening to God and getting ahead of God. But at the age of 14, when uh, Isaac was born, Hagar was kicked out of Abraham's home by Sarah, and God said, and he heard the cry of the child, a 14-year-old boy, homeless with his mama. God heard their cry. Listen to this, but it didn't say that God did anything about it. Ishmael and Hagar were angry at Abraham and God and went a different direction. He heard the cry of the child, though. He made sure that he had food and water and a place to stay. 1 Samuel 9.16 says that God heard the children of Israel and their cry for a king. They wanted a king. They didn't want God and God's man to lead them. They wanted a king, and he gave them Saul. read a verse to you out of the book of Psalms very quickly. Psalm 40, you don't need to turn there. I'll be there before you will, I believe. Uh, Psalm 40, verse number one says this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. God hears you. Preacher, I pray and 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 I wonder if God's hearing me. Let me ask you a question. Are you asking him or are you telling him? 
Well, I told God that I have this problem, and I told, yeah, God knows you had the problem before you had it. Just because you told him you have a problem does not mean that you asked him to get involved. (laughs) People will come to me, and they'll tell me, and tell me, and tell me, and tell me all this, and I'll say, are you asking me or telling me? If you're just going to tell me something, I'll sit here and not think about it. If you're asking me a question, ask me the question and let's go fix it. I'm not trying to be unkind, but I'm not there to be your sounding board. I'm there to help you with your problem. Just because he hears us does not mean he rushes in. He wants to be asked to come help. Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. Don't turn there. You know the story that Jesus told his disciples to get in a boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. And a storm popped up and they're rowing into that storm headlong and they're not making any progress. They think they're about to die and Jesus is walking on the water to get across ahead of them. I think it's funny. There's a little statement in that passage that says that as he walked, he would have passed by. And they cried out and said, it's the Lord. And one of them said, no, it's a ghost. It's a spirit. They were willing to change their theology. They said, is that you, Lord? He said, it's I. And Peter, with his big mouth and stupid head, said, well, if it be you, let me come out on the water. Now, that was the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Uh, I don't mind water, but I'm not stepping out in 100-foot deep water in the middle of a storm, amen, to try to walk on top of it. The interesting statement, he would have passed by. Why? He wasn't going to bother him. He's just going to walk through the night, Brother Jim. Did he want to be with him? I think he did. But he wanted to be asked. He wanted to be asked. He wanted somebody to want him, not just come in and rescue whenever. God does not force his way on anybody. God does not come down and grab you by the back of the head and say, Hey, stupid, do this. It would be a whole lot better if he did. God wants us to be the adults, not the babies. (laughs) We need to quit treating teenagers and children and, and adults like babies. Well, that's my child. They're 40 years old. Back off. I used 40 instead of 30. Amen. It's amazing to me how many 40-year-old babies there are in our country today. We got 40 and 50 and 60-year-old people that play more video games than teenagers used to. They got time for video games, but they don't have time for family. Well, that's family time. Right. God saw them. God heard them. Next, God do their sorrow. The Bible says that I know their sorrows. I know what makes them sorrowful. Can I tell you something? God knows what makes you sorrowful. Some of you are just sorry. No, anyway. uh, But just because you have sorrow doesn't mean he's going to rush in and help you. 
Please don't take this the wrong way. Just because you tell God that you're sorrowful doesn't mean you've asked him to do anything. But God, my heart hurts. Uh, I'm going through. Uh, yeah, he knows what you're going through. It doesn't surprise God. But he wants you to ask for his help. Isaiah 53. What an amazing passage. Isaiah 53 verse number 3 says this. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. For he, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Down in verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put on him, uh, put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. He shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he hath numbered, he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He was a man that was acquainted with our grief. He bore our sorrows. Then what are you sitting there complaining to him about because of your sorrow? He already took care of it. Amen. Complaining about it isn't asking him to get involved with it. Can I tell you something? You don't surprise God with your problem. But he's not going to step in and help till you ask him. Just because you have a problem does not dictate God stepping in. He will not step in until we ask. Plain and simple. Number four, and I'll finish quickly. I'm about to shout. God said he would deliver his people. Look at Exodus again, chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, look at verse number 8. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I want you to notice something. He was going to do it personally. But how was he going to do it personally? Let me show you. Let me make this statement first. You will never know the joy of deliverance unless you know the pain of affliction first. You will never know the joy of deliverance until you know the pain of affliction. God uses truth to deliver his people. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse number 32, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said in John chapter 15, 
15, verse number 7, Thy word is truth, O Lord. God will never deliver you based on a lie. He'll deliver you based on truth. That means this, deliverance for the, for the child of God is right there. His word is truth. He didn't say your feelings are truth. He did not say your tingle is truth. Everybody doing okay? God didn't say your religion is truth. He said thy word is truth, O Lord. Any help outside that book right there is not going to last. It takes truth to help people. You go to the doctor, you have pain, and uh, you're not sure what it is. And the doctor comes to you and says, I hate to tell you this, but it's cancer. It's a tumor. Oh, that's devastating news. Yes, it's devastating news, but until you know what the truth is, you can't find out what the answer is. Everybody doing okay? Sometimes you have to have the raw truth to get to the raw help. By the way, never one time does God deliver by our sinful flesh and our ways. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse number 19. Romans chapter 12, I'm going to read it as soon as I get there. If you don't get there in time, just look at whatever page you're on intelligently and fool everybody. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Too many times we want to do it our way. Well, that person hurt me, and I'm, I hurt because of that person, so I'm going to get back. Uh, 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 vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. God said that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. And maybe if we would do it God's way, we wouldn't end up like the rest of the world, miserable. So, God's deliverance comes through truth. God's deliverance never comes through our fleshly ways. I'm about to shout. <laughs> Brother Scott, God almost always chooses one person to lead the deliverance. God almost always chooses one person to lead the deliverance. You say, why? Because it takes one person willing to submit and listen to God and do it God's way to lead people who are hurting that won't listen to God. You know, when you're hurting, you don't want to listen to the doctor. Let me push on this and see if it hurts. Let me slap you and see if it hurts. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, uh, doctor, when I push here, it hurts. Well, then quit pushing on it. You know, some of the things they tell us do, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm going to lead you in on a secret to the medical world. Do you know why when you go to the hospital, they make you take everything off and put that split tail gown on? Because with no clothes on and everything hanging out the backside, you're more apt to do what they say. That's exactly why they do it. Why do you think... 
the first thing that happened to Daniel when he got to Paris Island this week. One of the first things they did was they put him in a room, stripped him down to his skivvies, handed him a bunch of stuff, and he sat down in a chair, and they went, with his hair. And the guy that had long hair down below his shoulders. And now they all look the same, sitting there in their skivvies with no hair. You say, why? Because when that drill instructor screams in his ear, they, they don't have any semblance. They don't even recognize each other. They don't know who they are. They don't know anything. And they're not sure who they are themselves now. They better listen. You see, some of those things are to make you humble to listen. Some of those things are there to make us listen. And God chooses someone who will humble themselves and do what God says to lead those who will not do it on their own naturally. You see, God doesn't want to lead a bunch of whining, complaining Jews. He'll choose a Moses to do it. He chose Noah to lead his family and those that would get in the ark to deliver the world. He chose a man named Gideon thrashing behind his father's wine press and said, Thou mighty man of valor. He chose a teenage boy to be king. Just a 16, 17 year old boy named David. Please let me say two things and I'm done. God gives a church a pastor to follow what God wants to deliver you out of your sorrow. As long as we use that book right there and we do it his way and we don't change what God says, we're in good shape. Oh, I didn't say all the problems are going to go away, but he'll give us deliverance eventually. Let me make this statement. Religion does what man wants, expecting God to accept it. True deliverance comes when we do things God's ways, not our way. I refuse to lead this church the way I want to be led. I want to lead it the way God wants it done, Brother Bob. I'll preach things that I don't like preaching because it's in the Word of God. A few weeks ago, I preached on hell. I hate preaching on hell, but I do it because God said do it. There's some things I say I don't like saying, but they need said because they're truth. Can I tell you something? God needs somebody willing to listen and do it his way to deliver us out of the sorrows and the pains and the affliction of this world to help a church called Grace Baptist Church. And he chose one to do it. That's me. And I don't mean that arrogantly. But when this old ugly face dies and uh, I, my body's in the grave and the next pastor standing here, you better make sure he's preaching out of a King James Bible the old-fashioned way. You say, why, preacher? Because if not, he's going to lead you where God does not want you led. Plain and simple. Religion is full of preachers that will preach this morning and go drink with their buddies at the bar tomorrow night. They're flying their rainbow flags in an effort to be kind to everybody. Come back tonight, you'll find out what that means. God is not ignoring you. He's just waiting for you to want him.
Are you doing what God wants? Or are you doing what you want? Are you doing it your way? Or are you going to do it God's way? I've been around the block long enough to know my way usually ends up pretty bad. I'm the one that says, watch this, y'all, and it's not going to be good. But when I hear say, God say, watch this, <laughs> it's okay. I'd rather do it his way, not my way. 430 years they did it their way. God was just waiting for them to say, God, will you help? Oh, I've, I've, I've seen you. I've heard you. I know what you need. Just been waiting to jump in. Now let me deliver you. Let me bring ten plagues out and watch the land of Egypt. Let me take you to the Red Sea and open it up for millions of people to cross over on. And then we'll close it over top of the Egyptians and watch them go club, club, club in the bottom of the depths of the deep blue sea. Let me have Moses strike the rock at Horeb and take care of the water for three and a half to five million people in your herds for 40 years. Let me bring manna down every day. Let me take care of you. I'll give you a pillar of cloud by day to air condition you and a pillar of fire by night to keep you warm and lead you wherever you go. I'd say God did a pretty good job, didn't he? I wonder, what if they'd have done it their way? It takes one to deliver by truth. Let's just obey the truth. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done.